0: Over the last few weeks, we have been in this series. Last week, Pastor Jermaine preached, and we've been talking about 1 John, this this letter that that the Apostle John wrote to a congregation, possibly in in Ephesus, uh, about a number of different things, but he was really talking about the gospel and and then some false teachings that were, were happening in this church. He was calling them back to a gospel truth. He was holding up the truth for this congregation for them to rally around it. Because what was happening was there were some false teachers who were who were rising up in this church, in this body, and, and they'd actually drawn some people away. And so as we continue to read this book, and maybe if you've read it on your own, you've noticed that he talks about those who went out, those who left us. And he's referring to, we believe, some people who have been tempted away from the gospel and thus have left the church. And though we're generations away from John in time, his message, it really is applicable for our lives today. In the first section we looked at in, in, in chapter 1 verses 5 through chapter 2 verse 6, we, we ha- saw John focus on this idea of, of walking in the light. And John loves to talk in terms of, of dichotomies, of black and white, of, of day and night. He talks about walking in the light versus walking in darkness. He talks about being obedient versus not being obedient. And, and really, there's no gray area. And for some of you, I'm sure that that, that resonates with you because you're kind of a black or white person. Uh, it, it's either this or it's that. There's no middle ground. Or maybe, maybe this is challenging for you because... Because you've never seen the nuance that you didn't like. You, you, you know, there are shades of, 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 of gray and, and, and there's, there's gradation, And so when we look at this, we have to recognize that he's going to be putting things in stark contrast for the sake of emphasis. So he's been talking about light and darkness, talking about fellowship or, or this idea of partnering with God. And how, how our obedience to God is an expression of of our fellowship or our partnership with him. And in this section, in, in chapter, two, chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, he's going to continue to talk about walking in the light, and he's going to connect it with our love for one another. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to stand up together and we're going to read the Word of God together. Now, if you're new, we do this because we want to, with our bodies, and with our words, reverence the Word of God. You know, when, when someone of honor or respect comes into a room, you stand up. There was a time where men would stand up when a woman entered the room as a way of honoring and respecting her. And in, in a similar fashion, we're going to stand before the word of God as we we submit our lives to it. So, first John chapter two, verses seven through eleven. And in him, there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would help us to see the the deep abiding, intrinsic connection between what we believe and how we live. And God, I pray that, that our confession of faith and trust in you would result in a, a real, heartfelt, earthy love for our neighbor, love for our brother and sister in Christ, that we wouldn't just say that we love with words, but that we would show that we love by the way that we live. And God, I pray that we would be challenged and convicted and and, and motivated to live in greater fellowship with those Christian believers that God has placed us in relationship with. That we would, God, would you make us a people who don't see relationship as as something that's, that's temporary or easily thrown away? And God, I pray that you would help us to to shift our view of, of being a Christian from assenting to a certain set of beliefs to loving a particular people. I pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. Please be seated. Thank you. And if you're online, please be seated. Do what you're doing. Before we get started... Again, husbands and fathers, it's Mother's Day. Um, this is a second, second reminder. Pro tip, order the flowers to be delivered Saturday. That way, your wife or your mom can enjoy them the day before and know that you were so prepared that you wanted them to enjoy it on Saturday. And then Sunday morning, she wakes up and they're there. Just saying. It is a good tip. Just trying to help. Just trying to help a friend. All right. Um, so here's what we're going to talk about today, but because of the life and work of Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm summarizing what John has said in this section, because of the life and the work of Jesus Christ, we ought to actively love one another. It's simple, but it's not easy. John is, he's, he's simple, but he's not easy. He's, he's simple and then he says that, that you've got two options, you obey or you disobey. That's pretty simple, but it's not always Easy. You either love or you hate. It's simple, but it's not easy. And he's gonna say, because of the life and work of Jesus Christ, because of what we've seen that Jesus did in our place, on our behalf, we ought to love, not just God, but one another. So we're gonna talk about the standard, the standard that he's setting of love in verses seven and eight, and then the behavior of love in verses nine through 11. The standard of love and then the behavior of love. Let's first consider this idea of the standard or the the bar that he's setting. The standard of love in verses 7 and 8. He says in verses 7 and 8, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Now, I love this about John. He is so pastoral. He writes beloved. Now, maybe in your translation, you see dear friends, and that's, that's an okay translation, but there's something about him understanding as us, us being part of the body of Christ that means that we're more than just friends. We, we are In solidarity, all experiencing the love that comes from the Father, it's it's mediated through the Son and given, and we experience it by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And together, because of that, we are called beloved in the same way that Jesus Christ himself is God's beloved. And so he says, beloved. And and I just want you to hear the impact of that, hear the, the weight of that. He looks at us, he looks at you, God speaks to you, and he says, beloved, the one that I love. And he says this, hey, I'm I'm writing no new commandment to you, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Now, this part of John I don't love as much because he basically dances around this commandment and he says, This commandment I give you, it's an old commandment, it's not a new commandment, and it's the word that you heard. And you're like, just what? Just say it. John, what commandment are you talking about? I think I understand. I don't know if you have a friend that talks like that, but they spend some time expounding about the thing without actually saying, what's the thing? What, just, just say it, just say it. Mark can do it, he just, 11 chapters, he gives us the gospel. You take what, 28 in your gospel, something like that? 24? Just say it, but he doesn't. He doesn't say it. He makes reference to a command that we ought to follow. And so we have to do something We have to become detectives. Now, when I was a kid, I I, I liked to read a a specific series of books called Encyclopedia Brown. Are you familiar? Some of you aren't. If you aren't, you should read it. I don't care if you're like 62. Just go and read it. They're awesome. What it is, is is this guy named Leroy Brown. So you know it's it's an older book. I don't know how many people, how many millennials have been named Leroy. But uh, his name is Leroy Brown, but he is so smart that... Everyone else around him, either positively or negatively, call him Encyclopedia Brown. Now, if this was written now, he'd be Wikipedia Brown, but he's, he's Encyclopedia Brown, and he knows a lot of stuff, and he, he has a detective agency. You, for 25 cents, he will solve your case, and, and sometimes he even solves his dad's cases because his dad is a, uh, a police detective, and you can begin to see the kind of kid that I was, and that's okay. Okay. Um, but he would solve cases, and, and the writer I think it's uh, Donald Sobel I don't remember exactly but, but uh, he, he would give clues you know, here's the situation. there's this guy, he's a bully, he's, he's saying these things, and this other kid's in trouble because of it. And Encyclopedia Brown would just hear the story, and he'd think about it. He'd, he'd sort out the clues and say, "This is the solution." And so today, we're going to all be Encyclopedia, encyclopedia Brown. All right. So you don't have to tell your friends if you feel like this is nerdy. You know, I went to church today, and I was a nerd. No. We're going to do something. And, and if you want to dress it up, you can just go tell everyone, we did some deep exegesis. And they'll just, okay. How Do you, do you need tools for that? Okay. So. What we're going to do is we're going to look at some clues. What is the command? That's the question we're asking ourselves. And then we're going to get into how we apply that command. So we're going, to, we're going somewhere with this. So stick with me. Some of you are on board and some of you are like, I don't know about this. Okay, so clue number one. He writes and he says this in verse seven. I am writing to you no new command, but an old one. And how old is it? That, he says that you had from the what? Beginning. So a good command detective or a good exegete is going to ask the question, John, what do you mean when you say beginning? There are a number of things that that maybe you could mean, but what do you mean? And I'm going to give us some options. Maybe he means, what's the ultimate beginning that we can think of? Genesis. There we go. I heard it. In the what? Beginnings. That's a pretty big beginning. That's kind of the beginning of beginnings. I'm going to begin to say this word so many times that the word beginning is going to mean nothing to us, but it means the starting point. So, just keep that in mind. And, and so, we could be talking about the ultimate starting point in the beginning, God created. That's option number one. Option number two, maybe he's talking about the beginning of, of the ministry of Jesus Christ or, or the church, because in the Bible, that tends to be kind of a big starting point. You know, you have the Old Testament, which starts in the beginning, the ultimate beginning, and kind of progresses. And then, once you get to the prophets, which are towards the end of the, the Old Testament, there's this period of about 400 years where there's silence. And then John the Baptist comes, and in the New Testament, he ushers in what? The ministry of Jesus Christ, and there's a, a, a bit of a new beginning. And then in Acts chapter 2, we see that the church is established at Pentecost, and there is yet again another beginning. So maybe that's, that's it. So option one is the ultimate beginning, for us at least, not for God. Um, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. Option number two is the beginning of ministry of Jesus Christ, or maybe the church. And maybe we're talking about, you know, the gospels, or we're talking about Acts chapter 2. Option number three, the beginning of their reception of the gospel, the beginning of these believers in the moment or the time frame when they had received the gospel. You know, when we talk about new life, new life in Christ implies what? That there is a new beginning. When you and I put our trust in Jesus Christ, family, when, when you say, you know what, I believe that Jesus died for my sins in my place, defeating Satan, sin, and death, and I'm going to put my trust in him, I'm going to live my life for him, I'm going to submit my life to him, that is a new beginning. And so let's read it and think about those three options in our mind. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had, hint, you had from the beginning. Now, I love you, you're amazing, but you were not in the beginning of beginnings. We were not there in Genesis. We've heard about it quite a few times, I'm sure, but we weren't there. So, option number one, in the beginning, probably not what he meant. Option number two, that you had from the beginning, maybe, maybe these were believers who were there at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, maybe, but I'm going to lean towards option number three, when they had received the gospel message. So, let's step back again. We're trying to answer the question, what is this command he's talking about? Well, it's the command that they received when they believed in the gospel or when they heard the gospel message, okay? What other clues does John give us? He says, it's the word that you have heard. He goes on to say in verse seven, "Um, the old commandment is the, and this is where he should have just told it what it was. The old commandment is do this. But no, he says, kind of coyly, the old commandment is the word that you have heard, so it's not a new commandment. It's, it's something that they have heard before. Now, if we look at verse 1 of chapter 1, it says this, that which we've seen or which was in the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and touched concerning what? The word of life. So at the beginning of the book of 1 John, the writer John writes about something that he's seen and he's heard and he's testified to. And we, we talked about that, I think, three weeks ago. And this is the message that he proclaimed to them. If you go and look at, at verse five, it says this this is the message we've heard from heard and proclaimed to you. It goes on to talk about how God is light, but but he's talking about this gospel message that he had given them. So this old commandment is the word that they've heard, and that word, the word, it's it's loaded. It's not just like the word, one of the, you know, you open a dictionary and there are a ton of words. No, it it's it's got significance. Right? It's, a, it's a technical term for John, the word that you heard. And, and this represents the message or the gospel, the thing that you heard that, that has influenced and transformed your life. And now we're going to cheat a little. If we were to fast forward to chapter 3, um, he says this, For this is the message, sounds like word, different word in the Greek, but it's connected. This is the message that you have heard, what? From the Beginning, we're starting to sound familiar, right? That we should what love one another. Okay, okay, John. So this is this is like one of the mo- those movies where you don't get to the point till the very end, and it's this big reveal, and you're like, "Oh my goodness, it was the clerk! I didn't know." So you, you have to get almost to chapter three before he begins to explain himself. Well, now we've got an idea, and and understandably, the the, the people who had heard this they probably were fairly familiar with John's teaching. And so they, they almost probably had a gut response of, oh, the, the command, because John, you're always talking about this. You know, Pastor Eddie, oh, you're always talking about reading the Bible. That's the command. When you, when you say, you know, you do that thing that Pastor Eddie always talks about, read the Bible. You know, for John, it's loving. Let's look at verse 11 of chapter 3. Loving one another in in, uh, and then if we go back and we look at verses 9 through 11 very quickly, we see that he starts talking about, you know, if you love your brother, if you hate your brother. So clearly there's this idea of loving versus hating in this command that he's expecting us to follow. So we're beginning to, we're beginning to close the case here. Stick with me, okay. Uh, then if we look at, at chapter 3, verse 23, it says this, and this is his commandment. Now, he had just previously in this section, uh, I'll I'll read from verse 19. By this, we should know that we are the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, dot, dot, dot. Uh, Beloved, if our heart does, no, I'm going to keep going, sorry. Um, Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments, plural, and do what he pleases. Then in, in, in verse 23, it says this, and this is his commandment, singular, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. So, this is important. For John, this idea of believing in Jesus Christ is not just something we believe, but it's something we do. And, he says, and love one another, but he calls believing in Jesus Christ and loving one another, what? One command. That's one command. So if we go back, thinking about all the clues that we've, we've collected, beloved, I'm not writing to you a, a new commandment, but an old commandment, which you had from the beginning when you, when you heard the gospel message. The old commandment is the word, the gospel that you've heard. And that gospel belief implies a command. If you believe in Jesus, you'll love one another are you guys tracking? You can say no. We're being kind of, we're having a bit of a dialogue. This is not how I normally do sermons, but our belief in Jesus Christ results in a particular obedience to this implicit command to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I'm not, certainly we need to love our neighbor. Jesus says that elsewhere. In, in the Gospel of John, it talks about loving God and loving your neighbor, and that's also connected, but but here she's kind of focusing on, on loving our our brothers and sisters in Christ, and I don't think that's because he's not, he's not interested in us loving our neighbors. It's because this particular congregation was having trouble loving our neighbors, and I'm sure that's not an issue that we have, but you know, we can pay attention and, and take note for anyone else in, in our lives who might be struggling with loving their neighbors, and we can tell them how they can change their life, because that's not our problem, right? Okay. Good. So the command here, the standard of love, is to believe the gospel they received at the beginning in such a way that this belief results in love for other believers. Did you hear what I'm saying? The command that he's giving is to, is to believe in a way <coughs> that they, it flows into loving their neighbor. And, and this, is, this, is, this is natural, you know? Okay, so we're going to keep going. Uh, what does this behavior look like? He goes on and talks about verses 9 through 11. He, he begins to address words versus actions. And in verse 9, it says, whoever says he is in the light, whoever says he's in the light, I walk in the light, I live a righteous life, look at my credentials. Whoever says this and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Yikes. Hates his brother, is still in the darkness. He goes on and he says this, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. You know, I, uh, I was obsessed not only with, with uh, Encyclopedia Brown, but if you've been paying attention, I was pretty obsessed with ninjas. And I feel like that's fair because during the 80s and 90s, that's kind of what was being pushed, right? There was no K-pop, there was no, I mean, not in the US at least. Um, there, was, there was no, I don't, I'm, I don't know, all of our Lyft kids left. So uh, there, there was a lot less of whatever they're into and a lot more of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, ninjas, ninjas, martial arts, karate, uh, a really terrible just amalgamation of calling karate, taekwondo, and kung fu, and it's all the same. It's not all the same. It comes from different countries. It's very different. I would encourage you to look into it. But, but I wanted to be a ninja. I wanted to wear black. I wanted to have throwing stars and throwing knives and grappling hooks. I wanted to sneak around. Probably upset my parents quite a bit. I imagine that I snuck around, and, but I wanted to be a ninja. The thing about being a ninja, though, is if you go into a room and say, I'm a ninja, people will look at you and think that you're crazy. Or that you're using you know I'm slang to say that you're really good at something. But if you just step in, I'm a ninja, like, all right, well, I'm a teddy bear. What are, is this what we're doing right now? Because right? my declaration doesn't mean anything. Now, if I were to just kind of spiral in, you know, come, just drop in on a black rope from the, from the catwalk and, and drop down and, and quickly run away in some sort of Naruto run, then, then you might say, oh, that was a ninja. I don't know why, but that was a ninja because the behavior backs up the identity, Right? And, and what he's saying here is, it's great that you say, I walk in the light. Oh, I'm a Christian. I believe the words of the Bible. I love God. Okay. Well, what about your life backs that up? And, and James goes so far as to say, oh, you have faith? Great. Show me your works. He says, you want to know about belief, about mental assent? The demons believe in God. The demons believe in Jesus Christ, and they shudder. But I promise you, that's not a kind of faith that produces anything good in their life. And and there are some of you, maybe you're online or or in the room, who have a a belief, and you're walking into the room, and you're saying, I'm a ninja. And everyone is looking at you and saying, okay, well, show me your throwing stars. Right? Where are your brotherly love throwing stars? I'm going to get that on a shirt. What you do, it doesn't define, but it confirms who you are, okay? What I'm not saying, family, is, okay, guys, what we need to do is to be really good people, you know, walk old ladies across the, the, the road, give to charity, and that will make us right with God. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, when you are right with God, you do these things. Jesus uses the analogy of fruit. If you're an apple tree, you're going to produce apples. If you produce oranges, you can write apple all day long on them, but they're oranges. And I promise you that skin will not taste good. If you are a a tree that's been planted in the gospel, you're going to produce gospel fruit. Now, there's a progression to this. There's indwelling sin. Certainly, there are things that, that... make this process a lifelong process of producing more fruit, but there is fruit. Even if it's just in a moment, the fruit of wanting to do better, of wanting to honor and love God, of wanting to to be engaged with the word. Because I, I, I recognize, family, that, that some of you are in here and you're like, eh, I, you know, I'm, I'm not... I'm not in a small group and I'm not doing these things. And and this this text should give you pause. You know, if if you look at your life and you see no behaviors that would point to the gospel and specifically you no know, love, then then it should give you pause. It should cause you to to ask yourself, do I really believe this gospel? But if you if you're you know, if you're a a, a Christian with a, a weak conscience, and I, and I don't mean that in a mean way, but in the sense that you still you feel conviction all the time, and you're trying to love people and you care about them, but it's hard, and you get you're you're kind of aware of your own inner tor- turmoil. That's not what I'm talking about, because usually that's that's a heartbeat, that's a sign of life. That that by itself is also a fruit. And if you're not sure, ask someone in your life. Do you see fruit in my life? Do you see, if you're married, ask your spouse, scary question, do you see fruit in my life? No, I mean, that's what I've been talking about. Pastor Eddie says something, you listen, but I'd say something, no, I'm just kidding, don't do that. <laughs> don't go and fight after church. <laughs> but but be, be open to hearing from, from someone in your life, is there fruit? And specifically, what kind of fruit does he talk about? Whoever says he's in the darkness but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. And listen to this, family. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. If we don't catch this, you could become blinded to the point that you can't see your way forward. Now, the gospel's always free. God's always... But if you're walking in darkness and you've just pushed it away, there's a point at which the, the, you get really blinded. And it takes... I mean, for all of us, it takes a miracle for us to see. Paul puts it this way in, in uh, second, First or Second Corinthians. I, it's in there. Um, he says that... The, the enemy or the, the the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers from seeing the glory of God. There's a blindness about us that makes it hard. He says that the, the sign of, of life is obedience to this command. We believe, again, let's step back, verses 7 8. We believe that Jesus is the Lord and Savior to such a degree that we obey him by loving our neighbor. So the ultimate question you want to be asking yourself today is, do I love my neighbor? Or not my neighbor, my, my brother and sister in Christ. Certainly my neighbor, but especially my brother and sister in Christ. And and you might be saying, well, yeah, I mean, I don't hate them. And I, I, I would push back and say that apathy is the hatred of our generation. That you don't really you kind of do. You know, uh, there's a there's a famous magician who's an atheist, and uh, he he's a staunch atheist. But he had a guy come up to him one day after his his show, and give him like a New Testament, and in it there was like a little note and Hey, if you'd like to meet with you me, you know, I'd love to talk to you about the gospel. And it's so interesting to hear this atheist's testimony. He said, You know, I don't believe in God, I don't plan on converting, but I was I so appreciated this man's gesture. And and he said something that was so convicting. He says, "Because if you believe that people are going to hell, if you believe that that you've got the answer and 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 you don't share it, if you don't live it, that's that's hateful." And and while we're in the same room and and you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't necessarily fear hell if we're not actively seeking the benefit and the good of one another. Are, what are we doing? Is that lo- that's that's not love. And in, in in John's mind if it's not love it's hate. So what does it look like to love your brothers in Christ? If we if we look at at Paul, he gives us kind of the quintessential description in 1 Corinthians 13. We're we're about to land this plane love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude. I mean, I could just stop there and we just, oh man. <laughs> so that's enough to work on. Love is patient. And that's not just, that's not just um, waiting. You know, the, the word there, it has this sense of, of bearing up under offense without provocation. Or bearing up under provocation without finding offense. Basically, you, you receive offense, but you don't freak out about it. You don't respond in kind. That's patience. You know, someone snaps at you and you oh, yeah. okay, well, I love you. You don't snap back, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not Irritable. You know, we think about, oh, well, I don't want to hate my brother, but I, I'm going to be irritable sometimes, and you're going to have to deal with it. No, Paul says, no, you can't be irritable. Really, Paul? You can't just have a bad day? It's not resentful. In another translation, it says it keeps no records of wrongs. In the Greek, it says it does not count the bad. It doesn't have a list. It doesn't have a a, a, a history. Does not rejoice in wrong it <laughs> does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Serves them right. But rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Can you imagine what kind of church we would be if we did this with one another? I mean, people would walk in, and it, it'd be like walking in the jello. They couldn't get out. Because they would just feel the love. They would feel the lack of, of judgment. They would feel the patience. They would feel the kindness. They would feel the lack of resentment. I mean, you, you know it because I'm, I'm, I'm sure that many of you, you go to work and you feel the opposite and you're like, Argh. you're walking into a furnace and everyone's just kind of bubbling over with anger. There's just a low level boil, you know, and you put, ah, put, don't put your finger in that. Love lives this way. Another, another thing that Paul says that's instructive is in Philippians chapter 2. I know, we're almost done, don't worry. Okay. Philippians chapter 2. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. You almost think that Paul is writing to the same people. Be united in love, he says. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Paul, I don't know if I can do that. I mean, I got I to gotta watch out for me. Paul responds, "Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also into the interests of others." Paul, I got to I got to care about myself. I got to care about all my issues. And then he goes, "Oh, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross." Paul, I can't I don't know if I can humble myself, Jesus. I don't know, you know, I, I'm pretty important, Jesus. I, I, I've got some important things to do, and I can't wait for these people, Jesus. He, he, Jesus jukes us. There's, there's nothing that you can say to Paul, and he says, "Oh, you know what? You're right. You don't have to be humble. You don't have to be loving. You don't have to be kind." I say this to myself. Family, we are called to this high standard of loving one another because it's an expression of Christ. If you believe that Jesus is this person and lived this way, then your life should express a life that is like this person and lives this way. And how did Jesus live? By loving his people. He loved his people. Even to the point of death on the cross. He says on the cross, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And you and I, we get frustrated with the person on 28 who cuts us off. You don't know who I am and the place I have to go. And Jesus is just saying, okay. Let your love for God and faith in Christ evidence itself, prove itself by your love and commitment to other believers. You know, we're in a weird time as it relates to the church where not only is there this idea that you don't have to go to church to believe in God, but now because of coronavirus, there are a lot of people who just don't even attend church because they don't have to attend church. Like before coronavirus, as a pastor, I just want to let you know, the, 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 the prevailing... Statistics suggest that that people go to church once a month, for the most part. If you go to church, you do it once a month. And, and where, where the biblical model is, is meeting together daily, and then certainly meeting to hear from, from pastors on a, on a weekly basis, and to worship God, and to have this moment together. But but you're doing it once a month. And now, we're not even doing it once a month. And sometimes, and, I, and if you're online because of, you know, I, we do online because we want people to be connected to us and in fellowship and relationship. And, and coronavirus has, has, has made that difficult. And so we've made a way. And there are some for whom they, they can't be here because of health issues. They don't want to be here because of safety issues. And I, I, don't, I don't begrudge that at all. But there are some who, in the name of health issues, don't go to church because they don't want to get dressed. And they don't want to be around so-and-so. And they don't want to get up 30 minutes beforehand. And I, I love you, family. But if that's you, if you've got every capability and every ability, and you, you, you know that you feel comfortable at work and at the mall and, and you know, at the, at the grocery store, but you don't want to come to church, family, that's not love. And I'm not talking about attending service. But attending service and being in the presence of other believers when when you're safe and you feel like you can do that with with a clear conscience, that, that's an expression of devotion towards God and love for one another. One more thing, before we get get off this horse, um, if you're if you say you love someone, you make time for them. You know, when I was uh, <laughs> I, I used to hang out with a group of guys and and we would they, they played music and and we'd. They'd go to shows and it was, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And I, I was a roadie and um, I mean, I just kind of did whatever. We liked to hang out. So we'd go and we'd stay up till three or four. And I'm not saying that this is what you should, what you should do. Teenagers, college age students, I don't know. Run it by your leader. <laughs> we weren't doing sinful things. We were just up late because that's when they could play shows. Um, and then I met my wife, who at the time was not my wife. And there was this shift. And, and I thought she was pretty, and she, you know, I did not think my friends were pretty, and I wanted to kiss her, and did not want to kiss my friends, and and my time changed. My interests changed, my, my you know, and, and all of a sudden, I was spending time with her, and I wasn't spending as much time with these guys, and, and I, I wanted to get married, so my, you know, the last semester of my senior year, which is my fifth year, so this is not amazing, this is just, if if I hadn't gotten married, I would have. I'd still be getting a bachelor's in computer science. Um, and, but my, my my senior year, because I had done so poorly, I, I had to take 21 hours. Yeah, of, of all the like, you know, 500 level classes. So, for a bachelor's kid, that, that was not a that was not a fun place to be. And it was funny because, with my love for, for this lady, I, I got on the dean's list for the first time ever. There are things in life that will motivate you. Um, and, and my, my interest in my times changed. If you love Jesus Christ and you take seriously this idea of, of obeying the command to love your brothers, it's not going to be nearly as hard to go to small group. Now, I'm not saying that your small group is as beautiful as my wife, because it's not. But I am saying that if you love God and you mean it, then your love for God is going to express itself in a love for other people that is willing to commit. And maybe that's part of our problem is is our culture does not understand commitment or it, it understands it, it just is not interested in it. But family, you... Part of being a part of this body is being committed to this body. And being committed to this body doesn't just mean that you have a a GCC bumper sticker. It means that you know five or six people that you're in relationship with part of this body. And and I'm passionate about this not because I need to build this church, but because God is passionate about loving one another. Because that, as John says in, in, in the Gospel of John, that is the way that we're gonna show the world that we're his disciples. People don't care about the things that you know, but if you show them a radical, loving, forgiving community, they're interested. Not that the beliefs aren't, aren't important, they are, but they should express themselves in love. Okay, what, I've, what have I said? Let your love for God, this gospel message that we've received from the beginning, your faith in Christ prove itself by your loving commitment to one another. So, what does that mean for you today? For some of you, it means you need to forgive someone in this church. Maybe your spouse, maybe a friend, maybe just a person, maybe me. <laughs> I'm gonna mess up, family. I'm gonna say some crazy stuff. I try not to, but I might say something that I might offend you, and I might say something wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> You might need to forgive someone. You might need to commit to this body. You might need to ask the question, what does it look like for me to be a member? Again, not to build my own kingdom, but to build God's kingdom. You might need to say, okay, what small group do I need to join? Not, should I join a small group? Do I have time? We're going to be taking a break through the summer, so you have, you've got some time to think about it, to plan your schedule, to get, to get ready for September to move things around, to change Billy's recital practice or, you know, soccer practice? What small group do I need to part, be a part of? And then, who, who can I bless? Maybe, who can I call today, who is also a member of this body, and just say, you know what, I love you. How can I, how can I be a service to you? How can I help you today? Who, there are people coming to mind right now in your brain. Right, you're thinking of some, oh, as soon as I said forgive, this person came up. That's the person you need to pray to God about. Maybe You don't need to have this big cathartic moment. You might just need to pray between you and God and say, I forgive this person for that. And then live differently. Um, you know, maybe I said small group and you're like, oh. But please respond. Because when we respond, we prove who we are. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And I thank you that you're good to us. I thank you that you love us and you've expressed that love in a commitment to us that you don't call us to do something that you haven't done. You don't call us to love in a way that Jesus, you haven't done. You don't call us to be committed in a way that you haven't been committed to us. God, I pray that you would make us a people who love one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you, family. Sorry we ran late. You're awesome. Kiddos, you did great.